Do you know anybody or are you right now a sleepwalker? Do you know of anybody who was a sleepwalker or maybe uh, somebody in your family? Here, I, I read a little bit uh, as I was preparing for this message that it's kind of a genetic thing. Um, so my, my mom actually told stories to my kids about how I did some embarrassing things, sleepwalking. Maybe you don't remember that, but uh, Grandma will tell you, Aaron and Nate. Um, two of my kids were sleepwalkers when they were young, and um, it was... Probably 10.30 at night, my oldest kids were um, uh, watching a movie with me, with, with, with my wife. And this was when we, were, we moved up to Michigan in 06. So they were, they were young, and we were watching. And all of a sudden, my middle son, Ryan, comes walking down the steps, mumbling something unintelligible, right? Eyes glazed over, right? Like, and trying not to laugh, you know, because you're not supposed to, uh, to wake up sleepwalkers, you know? Just kind of gently, I try to answer his question. Yeah, Ryan, it's okay. Yeah, I'm going to gently guide you up to your room. And I ask him the next day, hey, Ryan, do you remember that? Had no idea that, that he was sleepwalking. My youngest son, Nate, he didn't sleepwalk as, so much as he, as he does get up in the middle of the bed and just go, you know, kind of eyes open. Yeah, really, Nate? Okay, go back to bed and, and you know, kiss him goodnight. And, and he's back to bed, doesn't remember any of that. But I heard that if you continue sleepwalking when you're a teenager or when you're an adult, this is what I've not heard, but I read actually, I think it was WebMD, one of the, the sources that I was reading, uh, they could actually, if you leave the car keys, you know, downstairs, they actually take the car keys, go in the car, start driving, and they're totally asleep. What? How does that happen? You know, I'm glad, I'm thankful to God that none of my kids walked out the door and into the neighborhood and got lost or something worse happened. But sleepwalking is a dangerous condition. Romans chapter 13, we're going to conclude. Paul says, wake up from your slumber. So you can open up your Bibles to Romans 13. And as we close this last series in Romans, you heard Pastor RJ last week talk about in view of God's mercy, right? In view of what God had done in his, by his death and by his resurrection, this is how we should have a new perspective. It should change the way we behave. Do you remember that if you were here last week? If not, you can look it up online. This week... Paul writes, he continues in Romans 13, uh, we'll skip the, the, the beginning parts of that, but towards the end, he, we, he moves on and he says, not just in view of what God has done, but what God will do. What God will do should also change the way we behave today. And what is he going to do? We're going to read about that. Romans chapter 11, starting, or Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. Well, do what? Well, if you go back to, to verse 8 through 10, Paul says, love one another. That there's this continuing debt to love. Just like as we continue to praise Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's never going to be a time where we stop praising God, right? Amen? As followers of Jesus, there's never going to be a time where we stop loving. And I think about that. And do this, love one another. Love one another when you think you should be vaccinated or don't. Love one another when you think you should wear a mask or you don't. Love one another when whatever, right, in this time. Love one another. And do this understanding the present time. It says because the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day 
is almost here. Capital T, capital D, the day, the day we all want to be awake for, right? The day that we don't want to sleep through, the day when Jesus comes again. So let me ask you, how often do you think about that? The day that Jesus comes again. What do you know about it? What do you feel about it? Are you excited? Are you fearful? If you're a follower of Jesus, you should be excited about that day excited and hopeful and ready. If you're not a follower of Jesus, well, we'll continue on. Because let's think about this. As Jesus lives this life 2,000 years ago, he lives this life of 30 years. He lives perfectly without sin. He goes on the cross and the Father, God the Father says, because Jesus did that, he lived a life that obeyed all of God's commands perfectly He died for us in our place in the death that we deserve. He rose again from the dead then to give us hope. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead. I'm going to too? Like death has no power over me? That's amazing. And then not only does he die and rise again, but he stays on this earth for how many days after? After he rose again. How many days? Do you know? About 40 before he ascends into heaven, about 40 to encourage the believers because they're bummed out, this guy. But then more than 500 people, hundreds of people saw Jesus rise from the dead and live this life after death. And he prepares his followers to evangelize the world. Acts chapter 1 says it this way about his ascending into heaven and returning again. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you and gone where? Into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. He says it himself in so many places in the Gospels. In Matthew, he says it this way. For the Son of Man is going to come. There's no doubt about it. He's going to come in his Father's glory. What's that going to be like? With his angels. And he keeps on going later on in Matthew 24. He says, therefore, keep what? Keep watch because you don't know what day your Lord will come. So you also must be what? Ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect Him. And what is that day going to be like? It's going to be amazing, folks. Have you ever considered, ever tried to imagine what does that day look like? I mean, is it going to be chaotic? Is He going to come in times of peace? Is He going to come in times of war? Is He going to come during the night or the day? I don't know. But I can tell you one thing. It's going to be better than any Super Bowl, Stanley Cup, World Series celebration that we've ever I'm using sports terms, of course, right? World Cup. By the way, U.S. plays Canada in a World Cup qualifier, 8 o'clock tonight. I know you appreciate that. Better than any reunion that we're ever going to get with somebody that we love. I mean, we're going to see the people that we love that follow Jesus. Come on. Isn't that amazing? Better, better than anything we can imagine. To see the Father what he looks like in person in his glory, the sun and his nail-scarred hands and side and feet for us and the Holy Spirit to know who the Holy Spirit is, ultimately, I mean, that's going to be great. It's going to be the best day ever, 100% guaranteed. 
Sadly, though, we don't think about that day too often, do we? I know I don't. I have to admit, you know, I think about different things. World Cup qualifier at 8 o'clock tonight. My daughter, who was supposed to be playing the University of Michigan at 1 o'clock because this was going to be the shortest message ever, but now I'm just rattling on because I don't have to be there at 1 o'clock. I'm kidding. It's still going to be short. It's Labor Day. Or whatever else I think about. What's going to be the next day? What am I planning for, right? Go fishing on a boat with Joe, right? Plan on my calendar next week. Next year, here's why I want to take a family vacation. When am I going to see my grandkids in St. Louis? I think about all that other stuff, but when do I think about that he's coming again? How often do you think about it? Paul was writing, he said, look, the people of Rome, people that are new Christians, I want you to have some spiritual maturity, maturity and understand the present time. Understand that Jesus made a promise that he's going to keep. He will return physically to this earth. Be aware that's the first of my three A's. Be awake and be armed. That's how we're going to approach Romans 13, okay? Being aware that this is the truth that God promised, Jesus has promised in his timeline that he will return. Some people, you know, Peter even writes, he, is he slow in keeping his promises? No, not as, not as some people understand slow. No, he, he is patient with us, wanting everyone to what, you know? repent, and also come to the knowledge of the truth. But he wants us to be aware that that day is coming. And then Paul writes, I want you to have a heavenly perspective. He doesn't uh, also write in Romans, but he also writes to the, the people living in Colossae. In Colossians chapter 3, he says it this way, have a heavenly perspective. Understand the present time. Set your minds on what? Heavenly things. Heavenly things, not on earthly things. And if you go back to Romans 11, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? It's nearer now, today, than it was yesterday or a month ago or a year ago. This culmination of seeing God in His glory, this culmination of this is what I've done to rescue you from sin, from death, and the devil. And now that's all coming to fruition on the day, the day. Today, when all believers will live in heavenly glory with him. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of that 80s REM song, you know? It's the end of the world as we, what? Know it. And I feel what? And Erin is laughing her head off right now because I just sang, which was my biggest fear in the world, singing in front of everybody, and I just did it. How'd that happen? I, it wasn't going to happen. I just, we just did it. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. I feel fine. How do you feel? How do you feel about that day? How's your relationship with Jesus right now today? Is it good? Is it bad? Are you near God? Are you far from God? What are you feeling about that day? Because the truth of the matter is this history awaits us, this future history awaits that he's returning. Second Peter 3, uh, chapter 3, verse 8 says it this way, with the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Garden of Eden, he creates Adam and Eve. They fall into sin. Right away, Jesus says, I'm promising you, and I want you to hear this because I'm talking to Satan right now, Adam and Eve. I want you to hear this. I'm going to send enmity between 
the devil, and you. That means he's sending a Savior, Genesis 3.15. I promise I'm going to send you a Savior. A thousand years like a day. One, two, three, four days later. Four days later, he sends Jesus. He lives on this earth perfectly, sacrifices himself for us. Jesus says, I'm coming again. It's been one, two days, right? It's going to be two more days? What generation is going to see his coming again? This generation? The next? The next? Paul, the way he writes, be awake, be aware, be awake today. God's timetable is God's timetable. So we should be what? Ready, right? So that's aware. This is awake. Romans 13, verses 11 to 12, where Paul says, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night's nearly over. The day is almost here. He's using language of light and darkness, day and night, sin and evil and, and, and good news. He makes opposites uh, as he writes. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, he says, you are all children of the what? The light. Children of the day. Don't belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let's not be like others who are what? asleep, but let's be awake. Let's be sober. Let's be aware of this present time. Let's be awake now. Matthew Henry, this Bible scholar, says it this way, sinful works are works of darkness. They come from the darkness of ignorance and mistake. They covet the darkness of privacy and concealment. They end in the darkness of hell and destruction. I mean, that's the sad news. The day, when we think about the day, we have a hope. We have an excitement. But I don't know about you. I was just listening to a friend of mine uh, yesterday, and he had um, a member of his family pass away just yesterday. And she didn't believe in Jesus. She followed a cult, the Jehovah's Witnesses, not Christianity. And I thought about, as I'm thinking about this message, Right? What awaits those who don't believe that Jesus came to die for my sins, that he rose again? What awaits them? I don't know who you have in your mind right now about that. I know there, was, there are people who I think about in my life who believed for a while, truly believed, then rejected, and then came back to believe again, actually. I'm like, wow, it's awesome to think about that, but dreadful to think about the other part as well, isn't it? Be awake, Paul says. And I think about this, uh, I think about alarms, right? You have those fire alarms in your home, smoke alarms or carbon monoxide alarms, you know, the ones where you don't change every year, and at 2 o'clock in the morning, it's been about a year and a half, it starts going off, you know, whatever the sound is, and you're like, you get up, you're trying to find it, you think you replace it, and that's the other one that's downstairs or in the middle level or wherever, and you're like, ah! How many of you had that experience? I have. Oh, pretty many, more than, than 9.15. Okay. Yeah, that's what happens. But then I think about this, that, that these things, the alarm clocks, all these alarms are intend us to wake us up, right? To be, make us aware of the danger that how much more show, so how much more, bleh, how much more so do we need alarms for our faith? Don't we? I mean, we all need alarms to wake up. How about for our spiritual lives when we focus too much on the physical, the earthly, the material, the temporary? We do. We just focus on that. I mean, I shared with you in my message what I was focusing on. 
What was it? The World Cup qualifier at 8 o'clock, U.S. versus Canada. Yeah, right. What was that? Against Canada, right. Thanks. You want to watch it tonight with me? We all need wake-ups from our slumber because the night is nearly over and truly there's spiritual battles, right? I mean, the devil's still around. He's still prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour, the Bible says. What's around the corner? What's he want us to lure into darkness, right? What's he want to tempt us with? Because he knows how to push our buttons. And Paul's saying, don't be in this spiritual stupor, right? Don't have this glazed look over your face. That's what happens when you sleepwalk, right? Don't do it. I mean, do I have to remind you that we live in a sinful world? I don't think so. But in my lifetime, I think about Europe, right? And I think about the ways Europe used to be. And then I go back there on a trip. What? I think about the United States of America and how the ways it were in the United States and what is going on. We truly live in a post-Christian culture, don't we? We do. We live in a post-Christian culture. Barna says in a survey, 2021 survey, entitled State of the Bible, if you want to look at this, I'll tell you a little bit of what, what this says. Over one-third of adults reads the Bible once a week or more. That's good news. One-third, 34% of adults read the Bible, but here's the bad news. While half, 50% read the Bible less than twice a year and sometimes never. 50% of the United States reads the Bible less than twice a year, including never. The 29% on the far side is the never. One out of every three people in the United States never read the Bible. You know what that tells me? That God's Word is not the source of truth in our culture's mind anymore. It's not. I mean, generations ago, it used to be the educational book, the textbook for, for anybody studying and reading, you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, right? But not today. What's the source of their truth? Everything else. Social media. Wow, that kind of was a good time, wasn't it? Everything else. Not this. Your, fr- your best friend who's giving you advice that's not from the Scripture, right? Social media. The media. Whatever else except God's Word that's holy. Sorry, Jesus. Um, who is the Word of God in the flesh. And it tells me not only is, is it not uh, the source of our, our truth in the culture's mind, it's just it's being disregarded. God's commands are being disobeyed. I mean, people don't even know, right, that they're disobeying God's command. Life in the womb, life outside of the womb, redefinition of marriage, on and on and on. You do anything, right? And we're guilty as Christians, Romans 7, of breaking God's commands just as much as the follower of a non-follower of Jesus. We rebel against the truth of God's Word, and so we need a wake-up call. We need to be reminded, and so I'm thankful on a Labor Day weekend, you're sitting in front of me. I'm thankful that those watching online, you're hearing the Word of God to help us to stay awake. I mean, you want to know who the first woke person is, right? I think Paul was. He says how to live awake, verse 12. 
The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. And he's describing all these things that are dark, that are sinful, that take us away from God. He says, put them aside. Get rid of them. Get out of the dark. Be awake in the light. God's not surprised this is happening. He knew it was going to happen. He knew since Adam and Eve that the sins of the world and the climate of the world, and nothing has changed in the history of the world. I mean, since the days of Noah, remember Noah? When, when, when God's fed up with the world, he said, I'm just going to start over. Noah and his family, this is what's going to happen, right? Well, guess what, people? Jesus describes his second coming, and he equates it to the days of Noah. You want to hear what he says? Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day of Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen. They knew nothing. Wait a minute. They knew nothing. I thought Noah was a preacher of righteousness. I thought there was this big ark that he's building. How did Jesus, are you saying they knew nothing? Eyes glazed over in a spiritual stupor, right? The flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be. That's how it will be, he says, at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus compares how people then were during that Noah's day to his day and even to our day, that we're apathetic to God, that we're not aware, that we're not awake. They chose to ignore God's warning. We choose to ignore God's warning. I'm coming back. Be ready. Be, be, be aware. Be awake. And God's grace and his mercy and his love still come to us. He still sounds alarms. He still gives us wake-up calls. He does. Serious car accident, I was spared. Wow. Right? Injury to my body health-wise, and, and, and now it's gone. COVID, hello, world, pandemic, wake up. And it reminds us how we are so not in control. And not just how we are so not in control, but how much uncontrol we can have when we speak to people about what you think you should do and they should do, right? When things happen in this world, in Texas, you know, the, the bill and the ban of an abortion and all that, where we're talking to another. Understand the time, but love one another, Paul says. Don't forget about that. Love one another in these conversations, but wake up because there are catastrophic events. Ida, Louisiana, all the way to New York. Hurricanes in, in, in Haiti, Afghanistan. Forest fires in the West, all these things are happening. It's 20 years since 9-11. Where were you that day? I know where I was when the second plane crashed. I wanted to go home and protect my family. I'm going home. I was in the Missouri District office in St. Louis. I'm going home. I don't know what's going on. It's the end of the world as we know it. I don't feel fine. Brought that one back. Just keeping on preaching, right, because I don't have to go to U of M today at 1. Because my daughter's in Chicago. Hi, Kristen. Um, 20 years since 9-11, Afghanistan. And I think about, is something going to happen again in Afghanistan? 
Yeah, terrorism happens every day, not just in Afghanistan, everywhere. It's going to happen. These are tumultuous times that we live in, just like the generation before us, just like the generation after us, and these are difficult experiences as part of living in God's broken and fallen world, but God uses them for good. He does. People start to turn to Him and believe in Jesus. Wherever there's difficulty, they pray. I mean, how many churches were filled up after 9-11? For how many days, right? Unfortunately, churches can't get filled up because of COVID now, but online we have. It's amazing that God uses these wake-up calls in His love and His grace, and some people don't answer them. We sound the alarm, and, and so a little bit of tidbit information about me. You can ask my kids or some people have went to the Haiti mission trip with me. I'm a hard sleeper. I'm a hard sleeper. And when you're in deep sleep, guess what happens? You're unconscious. You're indifferent to all kinds of things and what's happening all around you, you just don't even realize. Nothing wakes me up. So I'm going to tell a story because I know some of you weren't around for uh, 10 years ago. But it's a story that happened to me in Haiti, and it's about exemplifying uh, how dangerous it is not to wake up. You know what some of you are, oh, it's coming. 2010, there was an earthquake that was 7.2 magnitude in Haiti, right around the Port-au-Prince area. This past earthquake, 7.6 mil- uh, magnitude, this recent earthquake in Haiti impacted thousands, killed thousands. The one in 2010, or I think it was 2010, killed thousands upon thousands, okay? Thousands upon thousands. And so our church, we sent the medical mission team down to Haiti. I got to be with the president of Lutheran Church of Haiti, Marky Kessa, in a, in a city called Jacmel. It's outside Port-au-Prince. And the medical uh, mission team, dentists, doctors, they went and, and stayed at a, a place that uh, was away from the city. I stayed in the city with Pastor Markey, and he said, oh, Tony, come on into my house. Uh, you need to sleep. Uh, you, he didn't say you need to. He said, you can have our bedroom because my wife and I are terrified that we're going to get aftershocks, so we're sleeping on the front porch. So he's sleeping on the front porch. I'm in his bedroom. The whole living room, kitchen area of his house is filled with food because he's distributing them to those that needed it. First night I'm there, I'm trying to fall asleep, you know. Uh, there's a brownout that happens every night. Now, automatic, like, no electricity at 8.30 at night. So it's dark. And in Haiti, there's all kinds of Haitian creatures, lizards, spiders, etc. So I'm, I'm hearing these noises, and the, the first night, I feel something, like, on my toe. Like, get out my phone. Didn't see anything, right? Second night... It happens again. Get up my phone. Went back to bed, didn't see anything. Third night, I hear this. Can you hear that? I'll do it again. I was so exhausted by our, our mission team that I just slept through. After that, I fell asleep. Next day, I woke up. I wear contacts, so I didn't have my glasses on. I woke up, and I'm like, my foot's kind of burning. I looked down. There's a hole in my sock. I look down some more. It's a little bloody. For those of you that are grossed out with feet, 
You don't have to look at this picture. Just cover your eyes. It's really nothing gross, but I want to show you, because you might not believe this, a rat chewed off a callus that I've been building up with soccer for 40 years off my left foot. I was imbalanced. You want to see it? Then don't look. Here it is. There's my left foot. No callus. There's my right foot. Calloused. Guess what? I played soccer. The rat didn't have rabies. I said to the doctor, and this is kind of funny. I think it's kind of funny. We were doing a medical mission. Haitian people were coming down from the mountains at 3 a.m. to start their travel to get to the, to, to the medical mission. I got up at 7 in the morning or whatever. I get in front of all those Haitians. Go run to the doctor. <laughs> Doc, am I going to die? Nah, don't worry about it. Okay. I called the office because I was freaking out about this during their meeting. They were praying for me. But my point is this. If we're calloused to the things of the world, if we're asleep, if we're not awake, what's it going to take to wake us up, right? A Haitian rat for me. No, that didn't even do it. But being aware, being awake, Paul writes, you can move to the next slide so people can look. <laughs> Romans 13, verse 14, be, be aware, be awake, be armed. Read this with me. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Be clothed with Jesus. And if you think about this, it's the best garment you can wear, Jesus Christ. It's the most dignifying and defending and distinguishing thing we can have. Because without it, we're naked, we're deformed, we have fig leaves, we're a sorry shelter of our bodies. But when we clothe ourselves with Jesus, put it this way, when God clothes you in your baptism, you're free, you're awesome, you're loved. Galatians, Paul writes it this way, you are all sons, I'll add daughters too. You're all sons of God. You're all children through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. He writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, not me. From God, by God's gift of faith, by God's grace, by God's mercy, I'm able to be awake, right? I'm able to be aware. I'm able to be armed. So put on, it says in Romans 13, 12, put on the armor of light. Who's the light of the world? Who's the light of the world? Jesus Christ. So we are armed. We are blessed. That's our identity. So when the devil tempts you, who do you think you are, Christian? Guess what? You could stand up to him and say, I'm a child of God. I am a child of God, and your ways and your works aren't going to fool me. I want to be aware. I want to be awake. I am armed. I want to be ready until that day comes. Keep watch, being aware, being awake, and being armed. Amen and amen. Part of getting ready then is having our eyes and our minds and our hearts humbled by the Word of God. And I hope you've been humbled today, saying, God, I confess 
I do those things that the world does, but I don't want to do them. Romans 7, the struggle, right? So help me today. Help me to receive that strength and that armor. Help me put it on today. And guess what? Even though Jesus isn't here physically, he promises his strength. He's going to be here right here in our midst. He is right now. And he's going to offer you something in the bread and in the wine that you eat and you drink. He's going to offer the strength to go on to fight the battle. So in the meantime, I invite you right now, as I go get the elements, would you bow your heads? Would you bow your hearts as well? And then as you think about whatever sins come to your mind today, from this morning or from last week or this week or 10 years ago, whatever it is, would you say this, Jesus, I am, I'm so ready to have you take those away. Take my sins away today, God. I confess them and I repent of them. The things that I do and the things that I don't do. The things that you tell me that I should, that I don't. The things I know I should, God. But I don't. Help me, Lord. as one who has been called out by you to speak these beautiful words, it's my privilege to announce God's grace on your life. That the sins that you confess that are on your heart, they are forgiven and they're remembered no more by God, your Father and my Father. In the name of Jesus, amen.